I'd like to just open up this morning, if I could, by reading to you from the book of Job. And I'm going to be in chapter 28. And I'm just going to read the first 11 verses to you. Just close your eyes and listen to this. And I want you to concentrate on this as I read to you this morning. This is coming from the message translation. I just want you to listen to this and enjoy this, okay? Listen closely. We all know how silver seems the rocks. We've seen the stuff from which gold is refined. We're aware of how iron is dug out of the ground and copper is smelted from the rock. Miners penetrate the earth's darkness, searching for the roots of the mountains for ore, digging away in the suffocating darkness, far from civilization, far from the traffic they cut a shaft and are lowered into it by ropes. Earth's surface is a field for grain, but its depths are a forge firing sapphires from stones and chiseling gold from rocks. Vultures are blind to its riches. The hawks never lay eyes on it. Wild animals are oblivious to it. Lions, they don't know that it's there. Miners hammer away at the rock. They uproot the mountains. They tunnel through the rock and they find all kinds of beautiful gems. They discover the origins of rivers and they bring earth's secrets to light. That's what Job says about the riches that are buried in the earth. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, it's really interesting to me because man really goes through, if you think about this, man goes through the most incredible trouble. He goes through the most incredible expense to find treasure buried in the bowels of the earth and to extract that. He drills for oil in the United States and in Saudi Arabia. He digs for diamonds in Africa. He goes to Chile to find copper. Or maybe he will go to Australia where he'll mine out uranium from the ground. Gold in China, silver in Peru, platinum in Russia. All of these places. And he has developed sophisticated means of detecting the most valuable and precious metals. And he's developed sophisticated means to identify the very best place to begin his search to extract all of these riches from the earth. He has huge earth-moving equipment. He has high-tech equipment which will help him remove the treasures from the very deepest and most difficult places on the earth. But up here on the surface, as we look around, nobody really thinks about what lies beneath, do we? I drive down the road and I don't wonder if I'm driving over a diamond mine somewhere. I don't wonder what's beneath me. I just drive down the road and I go on my way because up here on the surface, no one really thinks about what may be deep below us. And that's what the book of Job is saying. That's what Job is saying. He says the birds and the animals don't know that the riches are there. And even if they did know it was there, they probably couldn't appreciate its value. Yet, man thinks he has an understanding of its value. And so man labors tirelessly to find this treasure. And it's remarkably valuable to him. And he'll go to any expense. He will go to any length to get his hands on just a little bit of it. Well, last week as we became familiar with the first chapter of the book of James, we studied verses 2 through 4 in our very first chapter. And while we were there, we discussed some of the tools that we can use to help us face the many different shapes and sizes of trials and tests and struggles that confront us as we live in this fallen world. We know that as long as we live in this world, there's absolutely no doubt that as long as we live here, we're going to have trouble, aren't we? Job says that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And that's to say that whenever you start a fire, which way do the sparks go? They go up, right? And so you can be just as sure as the sparks fly upward that man is going to have trouble in this world. It's because the world has fallen. It's sinful. It's broken. It's certain to happen. 
It's not a matter of if it will happen. It's only a matter of when it will happen to you. And James tells us that as certain as it is to happen, that these troubles are one determining factor of the genuineness of your faith. Do you remember that? I had told you that as we go through the book of James, there are a series of 13 tests that you can use to determine if your faith is genuine. And this is one of them. The tests, the trials that you will face in life is just one determining factor of the genuineness of our faith. You see, trouble does not have, listen closely, trouble and trials do not have the capacity to destroy your faith, but they have the capacity to reveal faith that is not real. Do you see? Troubles and sorrow do not destroy your faith. All they do is reveal whether or not it's genuine. Do you understand? It reveals faith that's not real. It points out faith that is false. And so last week as we were studying, we discovered that there are a few tools that we could use to help us as believers navigate the choppy waters of trial and testing that we face as we're here on this earth. We found that the very first thing that we needed to do was that we must consider it joy to face our struggles. And we thought, wow, you'd have to be a real weirdo to do that. You'd have to be something wrong with you to enjoy going through struggle. But as we looked into it, we thought, well, maybe that's not really the case. It's not because we derive some form of pleasure or some form of pain from hardship or some sort of joy from pain and hardship of testing and trial. That's not the point. It's because we know that as we get through the trial, as we get through the struggle, there is joy to be found on the other side. We go into our trial with joy because we know that on the other side of the difficulty, on the other side of the pain, on the other side of the trial, there is joy to be found. And so we go into our struggles knowing. We go into it with knowledge. We go into our problems knowing that through the pain, through the difficulty, God is building up in us a sense of endurance. He's making us stronger. He's building us up. He's stretching our muscles. He's stretching us and he's strengthening us. Trials and struggles, they make us stronger so that we're prepared to deal with even more difficult trials down the road. He gives us a greater ability to endure more struggles. They make us stronger so that we're prepared. And as we remember, we talked about the word hupomone, as we remain under the struggle, we develop a greater ability to endure the next struggle. And so we remain under the struggle. We remain in the trial and we allow it to do its work in our lives. We allow God to use our time of struggle. We allow God to use our time of testing to accomplish his will and his purpose in our lives. That's what we do. We stay under it. And I know that it's possible that many of you are in times of struggle right now. I know that some of you are probably going through some testing of some sort. And I encourage those of you last week who are, who are going through times of testing and struggle to consider your struggle and to identify it and to call it out by name and to just think about it for a moment. I, I encourage you to pause, to consider and meditate just for a moment. You see, as we've made our way through the last work week, I want you to know that I've been praying for you often. I want you to know that I have lifted you up before God, asking for Him to do His perfecting work, His purifying work in your life through your struggle. I want you to know that I've been praying that for you. And it's my prayer that many of you who were dealing with struggles last week no longer have them in front of you right now, that you've come through the other side and and everything is good. But I think realistically, I'm sure that many of you, if not most of you, remain in your place of struggle and testing right now. 
And I don't want you to raise your hand, but I do want you to consider your testing. I want you to consider your struggle. Are you going through testing? Are you going through hard times right now? Are you going through struggles right now? If so, identify those and hold on to them as we go through the Word of God. Because what I'd like to do is I'd like you to consider that and identify it and hold on to it so that I can give you a couple of more tools that you can use in working your way through it. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, if I could, I'd like to take you back to Job chapter 28 for a couple of seconds. Job asks a question for the ages in verse 12. He asks one of the most important questions of all times in verse 12. Now, once again, before we get there, reading from the Bible translation known as the message, remember that Job has just said that men tunnel through the rock, he says, and they find all kinds of beautiful gems. They discover the origins of rivers and they bring earth's secrets to life. But now look at verse 12. But where, where, oh where, will they find wisdom? Where does insight hide? Mortals don't have a clue. They haven't gotten the slightest idea where to look. The earth's depths say it's not here. The oceans echo, I've never heard of it. It can't be bought with the finest gold. No amount of silver can get it. Even famous Ophir gold can't buy it. Not even diamonds or sapphires. Neither gold nor emeralds are comparable. Extravagant jewelry can't touch it. Pearl necklaces and ruby bracelets. Why bother? None of this is even a down payment on wisdom. Pile gold and African diamonds as high as you will. They can't hold a candle to wisdom. So where does wisdom come from? And where does insight live? It can't be found by looking no matter how deeply you dig, no matter how high you fly. If you search through the graveyard and question the dead, they will say, we've only heard rumors of it. No matter how many barrels of oil you pull from the earth, no matter the number of diamonds you're able to pull out of Africa, you could never sell enough of them to buy wisdom. You could never sell enough to have the money to buy wisdom. You see, all the riches man extracts from the ground could never begin to buy it. It's elusive. You can't drill for it. You could never drill deeply enough to discover it. You can't find it buried in the foothills of the mountains of Peru. You can't find it in a treasure chest at the bottom of the ocean. Rich people have no more access to it than do the poor. You can't just decide that you want it and pull out your wallet and lay down large sums of money to get it. It doesn't work that way. All the money in the world couldn't buy wisdom And in verse 20, this is what Job asks, where does wisdom come from? Where does the wisdom that man is seeking come from? And I think that's the question that has plagued deep minds all through the ages of history. The great theologians of history, the great philosophers of the past have asked that question, where does wisdom come from? How do I get it? And I bring this up to you because I want you to know that at times of trial and times of testing, it's almost impossible for you to be joyous. It's very difficult for you to embrace the work of endurance. It's very difficult for you to be submissive to the work that God wants to do in your heart, isn't it? When you're at times of trial, when you're in times of struggle, when you've received a terrible diagnosis from the doctor... It's very difficult to do those things. You see, in order to do those things, you are going to need to have understanding. You are going to need to have wisdom. I mean, think about the trial that you're facing in your life. Think about that for just a moment. When you lose a loved one, you need understanding. 
When you lose someone very close to you, you want understanding. You want to know why did it happen like this. You're diagnosed with a terrible illness. The first thing you want to know is why, isn't it? You want understanding. When you lose your job and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, you want understanding. Why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? When you have a child who departs from the path of godliness, you want understanding. You want to know what you've done wrong. What is the problem? What could I have done differently? And so at that point, people get out their heavy equipment. Do you see? They begin to pull out all their earth movers and they begin to dig deeply into the earth trying to find wisdom. They drill as deeply as they possibly can. They begin to look for wisdom in the foothills. They begin to look for it in the mountains. They pull out their wallets and they try to purchase wisdom. They dig deeply into the bowels of the internet to comb through all of the metal research that they can find. They purchase and they read books and articles about the topic of their trials and they look for answers and they're testing there. They run to their parents for advice. They run to their friends for understanding. And even though I just want to say this, even though some of those resources may be very helpful and I do encourage you to use whatever godly resources he makes available to you, but even though those may be available to you, listen to me, they are not the place that wisdom is stored. That's not where wisdom is found. Job says, no matter how deeply you dig, no matter how high you may fly, no matter which earthly resource you try, it is not to be found there. You can't find wisdom in earthly resources. Those sources have only heard rumors of it. They've only heard about it. They've never seen it with their own eyes. And so friends, in times of trial, you need to know that you need wisdom, don't you? In times of struggle, you want wisdom, you need knowledge, you need understanding, but where does it come from? And that's exactly what Job asked as he was going through unimaginable trial and struggle. In chapter 28 and verse 20, this is what Job says. He says, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? And then when you jump down to verse 23, you'll see that he answers his own question, doesn't he? This is what he says. He says, God understands the way to it. God understands the way to wisdom, and He knows its place. In Proverbs 2, 6, we read, For the Lord gives wisdom. Do you see? Where is wisdom to be found? Well, the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Listen to me, friends. As you are struggling with some of the most difficult tests that you are ever going to face, as you're going through your trials, as you are working your way through losses, as you are working your way through serious disappointment, you need wisdom, and you need understanding to make it through. Did you know that? I want to take you to James chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 5 with me. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Friends, go to God in prayer. Go to God and ask him to help you understand. Go and ask him to help you understand. Go to God and ask him to give you wisdom to know why you are in this place of trial. Do you see? Go to him and ask him for the wisdom to make right decisions while you are in the middle of trial. This is so important for you to understand. There is a real danger, friends. Listen closely. There is a real danger that without God's wisdom, in times of struggle, the decisions that you make could further and most likely will further complicate the problem. 
Do you see that? I want to say that again. There is a real danger that without God's wisdom in times of struggle, the decisions that you make could further complicate the matter. It's only going to make things worse. You need to be sure that you're not acting in your own wisdom. You need to be sure that you are not acting in the wisdom that you had found as you went from one friend to another, from one self-help book to another, as you were digging and as you were mining. But you need to act on the wisdom that comes from God. Before you move forward in your struggle, before you make any decisions, before you react to your time of testing, you must first ask God for wisdom. Ask Him for understanding. Go to him and say, God, I don't, I don't get it. I need you to help me put this in its right context. Help me get my mind around this thing. Ask God for understanding. And I love what verse 5 says. It says this, it will be given to you. Do you see? If you'll go to God and ask, it will be given to you. Ask him for wisdom in your time of trial, and he will give it to you. This is a promise. You can count on it. It's going to happen, and not only will he give it to you, he will give it to you simply. He will give it to you openly, and he won't go around pointing out your faults when he does it. He won't give it to you begrudgingly. He won't say, well, Scott, it's your fault you're in this mess right now anyway. I'll give you some wisdom to help you. But you're going to have to see how selfish you've been to get you here. I'll give you some understanding because you are so dumb for getting yourself into this predicament. You really need help. Go to him and ask, and he'll give without finding fault. He'll give without finding fault. Just go to him and ask for wisdom to help understand your test. Ask Him to help you understand why you are going through this trial. Ask Him for the wisdom to make right decisions as you stand in the middle of your trial, and He's going to give it to you. It's a promise. He's going to give it to you. But I do want you to know that there is a condition here. There is a condition here. So if you want Him to give you wisdom, you have to approach Him the right way. So let's take a look at verse 6 really quickly. It says this, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So I want to just pause for a minute, and I want to help you understand this word doubt or doubting. It's from the Greek word diakrinomai, and you'll see it twice in this verse, and it actually comes from the word diakrino. Just to help you understand, one use of this word diakrino is in reference to two people who were fighting. So you got two people who are in combat, they're fighting, and when you separated them so that they could no longer engage each other, that's diakrino. Do you see it? You force them apart, and you've created separation. Another use of the word is in divorce. Once again, you see clearly the separation there, right? In a divorce, that's diacrino. Another place that you would see it used is for the part in your hair. So if you're one of those guys that likes to, you know, part your hair down the middle and then fold it off on either side, that's diacrino. That's what it means to diacrino. It's to divide. It's to create space. It's to create division. And so clearly that's the idea. What's going on is you have two opposing, you have two separate things. But now this is very important for you to understand, because in this case, in verse 6, the verb is in what we call the middle voice, which would give it a sense of reflexive feeling. And I'm going to help you understand that. It sounds like a lot of stuff, but it's really easy. It's like saying this, someone is separating or dividing himself. So he's doing it to himself, do you see? So the feeling is that he is on the fence, This guy who is diacrinomai, this guy who is divided, is divided internally. He's divided in himself. He's on the fence. Part of him believes, 
Part of him knows that God can do it, but the other part doesn't believe. Do you see? James is saying that when you approach God to ask Him for wisdom in the face of your trial, if you really want God to help you understand in your struggle, you are to be in no way separated or divided inside yourself. That's the message. He says, be clear in your thinking. Be committed in your thinking to know that God will help you. You can't be divided inside yourself. You can't be dividing yourself in half with two opposing forces. And I think that that can happen in several different ways. For example, First, you may just be struggling to believe that you can take God at His Word. That's possible. So you know that He has told you to ask for wisdom. You go into your trial struggling and you think, okay, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to ask Him for wisdom and He's going to give it to me. But maybe you're just having a hard time believing that He really will. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had a hard time believing that he'll actually do it? Friends, I want you to know that's real life. If that's who you are, don't be ashamed of that. That's real life because I want you to know that I often pray and ask God to do things, but in my heart I am diacrinamite. See, I know he can do it if he wants to. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that God can do anything that he wants to. I'm just not sure that he wants to do this. Do you see? Diacrinamite. I'm divided. I'm divided within myself. Have you ever felt that way? I know that he can do it. It's really a matter of does he want to. And so there's doubt in my heart. Friends, you are parted inside yourself. You are divided. And maybe you're divided because you're not sure that God really cares that much about your problems. I think some people feel that way. I know God can do it, but he doesn't really care about this little problem. I mean, after all, he is a little busy keeping the universe from imploding. He's got a lot on his hands right now. The last thing he needs is my problems in his lap. I'm not sure he's going to give my problem the time of day. That's doubt. You're divided. Diacrinomai, you're divided in half. Or maybe you just don't believe that God can help you at all. And many of you would say, well, no, no. Yeah, I mean, we all know God can do whatever he wants to do, right? God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But maybe you doubt his power to intervene and cause change in your circumstances, and you just don't believe that he's going to give you wisdom and help you at all. You're convinced that the situation has gone too far. Do you understand? You're convinced that you've gone too far down the road. The damage is so significant that at this point, it's irretrievable. The damage is so significant that at this point, it's irreversible. And I can't change anything, and not even God has a chance of turning things around now. Have you ever heard that? I want you to know there are a lot of people that feel that way. I've heard people who have said to me, you don't know what I've done. I've gone too far. There's no way that God is going to help me at this point. That's doubt. Diacrinomai. They're divided. And let me just share one more with you if I could. There are some people who are divided in their hearts at times of trouble. And this is very important because I think this is right where we live. I think they're divided in their times of trouble and testing because they're angry with God and they just want to argue with Him. No. Listen, they're upset and they blame God for their trial. How in the world could God have allowed me to go through this? Have you ever said that? How could God ever have allowed me to go through this? I know that nothing happens without his permission. So why in the world is he allowing me to go through this kind of trouble? How could he have allowed this illness to strike my wife? How could he have allowed my parent to come down with this cancer? How could he have allowed us to have this kind of problem? How could he have allowed me to face this kind of loss? And so in their heart, they build up bitterness. And really what happens is as they go to God, Their prayer really becomes nothing more than an argument with God. And they're shifting blame and they're causing God to be the blame of their problems. And so they go to him in an argument 
And because of that, they never receive the wisdom and the understanding that they need to grasp God's purpose in the trial, do you see? Because he won't give it to them because they're coming with a divided and doubting heart. Friends, can I just tell you, I'm not aware of all of the trials that you face, but I do know that some of you are going through some very, very difficult things. And I want to say this to each of you with a heart of love, but I want you to know you are not to dispute with God. You are not to argue with God. You are not to doubt His purpose. You are not to doubt His will in your times of testing. You're not to doubt that. You're to be submissive to Him, right? You're to be submissive to Him, and you lean hard on His sovereignty. You may not get it, but you lean hard on His sovereignty because you know that even though you can't see the silver lining right now, God is ultimately going to work this out for what? for your good. He's ultimately going to work this out for your strengthening. He's ultimately going to work this out for your perfecting. He's ultimately going to work it out for your maturity. So you hang in there and you lean hard on his sovereignty, knowing that God is going to work this to your advantage. It's important for us to take a moment here to note that if you're going through a trial, friends, and if you can't understand why, if you're going through a struggle and you don't know what you should do to move forward, I want to tell you there are only two possible explanations. There are only two. Once again, I say this with with love for you, but I want you to know that there are only two reasons. First, maybe it's that you haven't asked God to give you wisdom. That's problem number one. Maybe you haven't gone to God and asked Him to give you wisdom. Maybe rather than running directly to God to get wisdom, you started digging and you got out the earth-moving equipment and you pulled out your wallet. You began to drill. You began to look in places where wisdom cannot be found. Maybe you started there. Maybe you haven't run into His presence and begun to really seek His face and to really ask for wisdom and to press in hard and to stay in His presence asking Him and beseeching Him for wisdom. Friends, listen. Times of trial and struggle should force you into the presence of God. It should force you into the presence of God. You should be constantly before Him asking for wisdom. Maybe you would say to me, oh, well, Scott, you know, the very first thing that I did was I found a place to pray and and I asked God to give me wisdom and I still haven't received it. That might be true too. According to the book of James, you know, if it's true then, the only possible reason, according to the book of James, is that you haven't asked in true faith. It's not because He's not willing. It's because you haven't asked in true faith. Maybe you're just asking with a, you know, you're not asking with an open and honest heart. Is that possible? I want to ask you to examine yourselves. I mean, maybe you have doubt in your mind. Maybe you're diacrinomai. Maybe, maybe you have a little bit of doubt that God cares about your problem. Is that in your heart? Do you have a little bit of concern that, well, I don't want to trouble you. Maybe God doesn't even care. Maybe you feel that your test is really not significant to trouble God with. Or maybe you feel that He just can't do it. Maybe you feel that not even He could help you. Or maybe you're the one who's questioning God and you're angry that you're facing this testing. But friends, listen to me. In any case, if you approach God with a heart that is divided among yourselves, if you have a heart that is divided with belief and unbelief, you will continue to be frustrated, you will continue to be disappointed, and you will always struggle in your time of testing, and you're probably going to become angry at God. But in verse 7, James says that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all of his ways. So listen, friends, not only will God not give you wisdom if that's you, if you are divided within yourselves, you can't expect God to give you anything, the Word says. Remember that trouble is the first of the tests of genuine faith. Remember? 
It's the very first test to check your faith to see if it's genuine. This is the guy who is divided in his heart. This guy that we're talking about is the guy that has two minds. He may claim to be a genuine believer. He may claim to really believe in the Lord, but in truth, he may not actually be one. See, when he goes through trial, he becomes bitter. He becomes resentful. He doesn't seek the help or wisdom from God, but rather he runs to the resources of the world for help. And ultimately, he is not really committed to God. And so when he prays, he doesn't receive what he's asking for. And then in his trial and his testing, it reveals that his faith is not genuine. He becomes more bitter and he becomes angry. And that's all that we're finding out is that his faith wasn't real. I'd like to give you a fifth step now in dealing with times of testing. So the first thing that we do is we consider it joy. You'll remember that from last week. Secondly, we go into the test knowing that we're building endurance. Thirdly, we're submissive to God's will and His purpose. Just now we learned that we go in with undivided minds and faith and we ask God for wisdom. That should be your first stop. And finally, if you look at verses 9 through 11, we'll find that we embrace humility. Look at this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will be the rich man. He will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now look, James has a lot to say as we get in the coming weeks. We're going to see that he has a lot to say about the wealthy and the poor. Uh, But I want you to know that in the dispersion, as all the Jews were scattered abroad, there was a great deal of profound poverty. You can't begin to imagine the poverty. People had absolutely nothing. And yet James says, let that guy, the tapenos, let the destitute guy, the guy who's in abject poverty, boast about how exalted he is. You may possess absolutely nothing, but you should go ahead and boast about your exalted position. What is this, James? Is this some kind of a cruel game? I mean, the guy has absolutely nothing. What in the world could he have to boast about? Friends, listen, he can boast because he has access to the same priceless wisdom that the wealthy man has. He has access to the exact same God. He has access to the exact same wisdom, and God has not withheld it from him because of his clothes. God has not withheld it from him because he's poor or because he's wearing clothing that is tattered and dirty. God hasn't withheld it from him because of that. God hasn't withheld from him because he lives in a more modest home. God hasn't given him a less valuable form of wisdom than what the other man has. The understanding God has given him is incredibly valuable, and he can boast in that. He may not have the nicest earthly possessions. He may not drive around in the nicest cars, but he can have as much of the most costly wisdom as he can possibly ask for and as much as he can believe in. The poor man has received the same attention from God. He's received the same opportunity from God. He's not been deprived. When the poor man faces trials, God is making him perfect and God is exalting him in the spiritual dimension. So the person who is poor, the person who is deprived can accept his trial. He can accept his struggle. And because of the hope that he has that God is exalting him and will bring him through the trial into future glory, he has a lot to exalt about. He has a lot to boast about. And so he can rejoice in any trial. Have you ever noticed how many of life's trials are related to poverty? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, the rich guy who has absolutely everything he wants seems to be so well set to deal with any trial. He's got everything that he could ever want. And it's interesting to me how trouble and trials really are an equalizer. Have you thought of that? 
Money does not soften the blow of a deep loss. Money can't buy comfort for the grieving. And in his trial, the rich man is humbled and he's brought low. I mean, what rich man would not give everything that he owns for one more day with his departed wife? What rich man would not pay absolutely everything that he has to provide treatment for his child's life-threatening illness? What rich man would not do that? He would give it all. You see, when he goes through a trial, he begins to realize that nothing that he has can buy anything of any real and lasting value. As soon as he dies, it's all withered. It's all gone, most often before that. And he's forced to go to the exact same God as the poor man to ask for the exact same wisdom He's forced to go to the exact same God as the poor man to ask for the same understanding to help him through his difficult time. And even from him, the wealthy man, God still won't withhold. Even from the one who has everything, but he has to come to the place where he humbles himself and asks God with faith and an undivided heart. And I just want to take you to verse 12 and we'll wrap it up with this. It says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Friends, God has blessing in store for you. He has blessing in store for those who are faithful to Him as they endure trial and testing. And so as you're in the face of very difficult trial and testing, I want to encourage you to stay involved. Stay plugged in. Do not run away. Remain under it with joy. Hupomeno, stay underneath and endure it. If you remain under your pressure, if you remain in your time of testing, knowing that God is building an endurance in you, if you will remain under and remain faithful in your trials, submitting to the will of God and the purpose of God, He will give you the crown of life, it says. He will give you the reward. He'll give you the greatest reward of life in His eternal presence. You can count on that. It's a promise. Humbly call on Him for wisdom and receive this great blessing. That's what you can do. So I want to leave you this morning with a reminder of the great King Solomon. Remember that Solomon was a very young boy when he became king of Israel. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, God came to Solomon and He said, Solomon, what can I do for you? How can I bless you? What can I give you? And in verse 9, this is what Solomon said. He said, Lord, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. And if you would jump down to verse 11, you'd find that God said to him, because you have asked this, I now do according to your word. And he said, behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before you and none like you shall ever arise after you. Friends, God will not turn away the humble heart that comes to him seeking wisdom. A humble, undivided heart asking in faith that God would grant wisdom can be sure that he will receive more than he could ever expect. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for your mercy and your compassion in times of struggle. I thank you for your compassion in times of trouble. And Lord, that I just pray that as we have people here today who are dealing with very difficult times, that you would help them to invest their time and their energy, not drilling and digging in earthly places, looking for wisdom in places where it can't be found, but let them come straight to you, straight to your throne room with an undivided heart. And God, I pray that you would just open the floodgates and pour out wisdom, pour out understanding. Their hearts may be developed, their faith might be made mature, that they can come to a place of full maturity. Perfect them, I pray, God. Grow them up. Teach them from your word and teach them also, God, from their trials and their testing. Help them as they've gone through these trials to look back and to examine closely their faith through the lens of trial and testing 
and have the confidence of knowing that it's genuine because they've withstood. We ask these things now in Jesus' name.